What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Anthro Alert podcast, which is the recording of our live show, Anthro Alert. You can now listen at your leisure and at your convenience. If you're new here on Anthro Alert, this is where Renee and I, your hosts, and sometimes a guest, analyze, break down, and discuss different topics each week anthropologically. Enjoy. Hey, Spencer, uh, did I ever tell you that uh, when I first went to Arizona State for my undergraduate, I actually started doing mechanical engineering? That is so interesting, and that is such a surprise to me, Renee. Yeah, well, um, and what have you heard about engineering students? Well, as an undergraduate from Purdue University, I'm very used to the engineering experience, as most of my friends were engineers. Okay, perfect. Well, you're going to love today's show then. Oh, yeah? And what is today's show, Renee? Well, on today's show, we're talking about um, a research project over at the University of Connecticut with Dr. Rebecca Campbell, who's going to tell us about um, some of the work they're doing there to understand a, uh, achievement and retention in, in, uh, in engineering students. Fantastic. But before we get to that, um, if you're, you've listened to Anthro before, you know what we're all about. But if you're a newcomer to this week's show, let me tell you a little bit about what we do here on Anthro Alert. So, this is simply a show about anthropology and why it matters. Each week we discuss how anthropology is relevant, and over time we feature various guests from the Department of Anthropology here at USF to discuss their research and to have them weigh in on everyday topics or current events. So we believe, as anthropologists and students of anthropology, that this is a good opportunity for us to better connect with the USF community and to raise awareness of the value of an anthropological perspective. And just like every week, we like to preface our show with the disclaimer that the statements we make here and the opinions that we express here on Anthro Alert are our opinions and may not be uh, necessarily representative of anthropology as a discipline, the USF Anthropology Department, USF, or student government. Renee, would you like to take it from there? Yeah, so you're listening to Bulls Radio WSF, 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and streaming worldwide, live, 24-7 at TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. Uh, we're also on YouTube, AnthroAlert.com, or we're also on the web, the web, the webs, the internets, <laughs> AnthroAlert.com. we got a YouTube channel. We're on Tumblr. we got the Twitter all the all the usual suspects. We are we are socially engaged with media. Yes, we are. <laughs> so, with no further ado, we'd like to welcome back Dr. Campbell, who you may remember came on to discuss her dissertation research. So, Dr. Campbell, thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Glad to see you guys again, and glad to be back in my alma mater. Oh yeah, it's always a good time to to come back, especially since. If you guys don't know, this will be the last episode of Anthro Alert before the fall semester takes a break uh, for Christmas. So thank you for joining us. And after this, we all get to start our vacations. So that's a plus. That's a positive. Yeah, fortunately, you can get your Anthro Alert fixed by you know checking out our YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. Or we'll still be rolling out episodes on AnthroAlert.com. Oh, you know it. Yep. So... Uh, Dr. Campbell, will you kind of start us off by just giving us a little background about this uh, this project that you've been helping out with um, at the University of Connecticut? Sure. Well, I'm part of a team of researchers at UConn, as you said, as well as the University of South Florida, and we have affiliates elsewhere. And we're working on a project exploring how social capital 
and cultural models impact the retention and degree attainment of women and underrepresented minorities in STEM engineering undergraduate programs. Okay. Um, so this is a partnership between UConn and USF. How did that partnership originally sort of happen? Well, the study actually started at the University of South Florida, um, where the PI, Dr. Gladys Kersaint, um, was f- formerly of the College of Engineering here, as mm. well as several of the co-PIs. Um, and when uh, we, both Dr. Kersaint, Dr. Crystal Smith, and myself um, transferred to UConn, uh, the grant was brought with us. But of course, our uh, valuable collaborators are still here. Um, and our research team actually includes an in- it's interdisciplinary so we have anthropologists, sociologists, methodologists, educators, engineers, and we all use our collective experience to address our research questions. And just to quickly tell you, other members of the team, as I mentioned, were Dr. Crystal Smith and myself who moved to UConn with Dr. Kersaint. And the remainder of our USF team is Dr. George McDonald and Mr. Reginald Lee at the Center for Research, Evaluation, Assessment, and Measurement at the College of Education here at USF. We also have Dr. John Skavortz, Distinguished University Professor of Sociology, Dr. Kingsley Reeves, Assistant Professor of Industrial and Management Systems Engineering, as well as Dr. Hess Wow, formerly of USF Health. That's a large group. Yeah, that's quite an interdisciplinary team from different disciplines. Um, I even heard like an engineering. Yeah. Engineering. Out of curiosity, what it, what constitutes a methodologist? Um, someone whose work is on methods itself. Um, for example, um, they're proposing new ways of conducting surveys or new analytical methods, which is one of the mm-hmm. strong um, suits of our research is that we're proposing new ways um, and uh, implementing new uh, ways of measuring, quantifying, analyzing these survey responses. So not only are we informing about our question of engineering, mm-hmm. right, and mm-hmm. engineering for diverse people, mm-hmm. but we're also um, furthering science by improving ways in which surveys can be conducted and analyzed. Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting. I wasn't really familiar with with the term like methodologist. So is this someone that comes out of a particular discipline and then just kind of focuses on improving methodologies yeah it's normally people they could be you know uh, a researcher of education could be even an anthropologist or a sociologist Mm -hmm. but um, whereas they may do research on a particular topic um, some of their research largely focuses again on those um, methods I was discussing interesting well I was just kind of a side tangent for me sorry it was my curiosity (laughs) but let's dive back into um, some of the specifics of of the the project here so you said you're specifically looking at undergraduate uh, engineers from um, underrepresented minority groups and um, women in engineering, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, this sample, like that sample for this this project and sort of, um, you know, why you guys are focusing on this group and what was some of the eligibility criteria for like when you guys are forming the study? Sure. Well, we know that women and several um, racial and ethnic groups are underrepresented in engineering. And so we want to find out um, what are some of those social processes that cause that. So um, in order to find that out, we've been conducting surveys. Uh, We have four surveys to conduct in total, and we've already done three. So we're going to be disseminating the fourth survey in the next few weeks. 
Um, we're also doing interviews with a subsample of women and minorities, and we conducted the first wave of that. So um, it's really exciting that on our first wave, we actually had nearly uh, 2,200 students, and they were across 10 colleges of engineering across the United States as well as Puerto Rico. And we actually followed them from their freshman year of engineering, where we asked them about their high school experiences until now, which is their first year as students. So the eligibility criteria was any student who was a freshman in fall of 2014, um, which is when we began following them, it, it was open to any, any of those students uh, who were freshman engineering um, students across those universities. So um, th that's who we included in the study. Oh, so, so okay, so there were many universities. I, I think when I was first trying to understand the project, uh, when I was reading the uh, the paperwork you had sent us. Um, I think I initially just thought, oh, is, is that what we're at uh, University of Connecticut? Mm -hmm. Or I mean, that's just what I thought. Mm -hmm. So, so it's was, it was many different universities, a lot of different students. Okay, so this, is, this, is, this makes it much more interesting. So this is a large scale, this is a really large scale project. Yeah, and one of the important things we are also looking at is how institutional climates at the universities impact these things. Mm, so for that yeah. reason, our um, colleges are actually really diverse. We have a historically black college. We have several Hispanic-serving institutions. We have primarily white institutions. Mm. Then we have public and private universities, larger ones, smaller ones. So we can really understand how the nuance of the um, where you go to college yeah. Right. And the culture mm -hmm. there, how that impacts our findings. I'll be really uh, excited to hear about some of the findings because I think there'll be some interesting results that potentially come out of um, this study. When you guys were, were starting to form this study or, or even now, what are some of the theories that are kind of driving your research or, you know, what's some of the foundations that you guys are, are laying down? Mm-hmm. Well, basically, we're interested in students' decisions to pursue engineering and the factors that actually make them stay in engineering until at least the fourth year of their degree program. So um, that's our outcome variables, what we're ultimately interested in. And the theories that we're using to understand that is actually borrowed heavily from cognitive anthropology um, because we're thinking about cultural models. And so what a cultural model is, is it's this way of thinking that a group has that's shared. Um, and so anytime you have a cultural group, we know as anthropologists that everybody's not identical. They're not exactly the same. Right. But there are these observable trends in how people think. And so... We're using these, the cognitive anthropological theory of cultural models, and specifically cultural models of engineering success. Um, and the second major theoretical perspective is social capital theory. So we're looking at who was important in these students' lives, both when they were younger and in high school, as well as now that they're in college. Um, and so in order to kind of understand the influence of those people, we're using this theory called ego network analysis, where ego is the individual person. And so, it's, again, it's like a mapping technique. It's qu quite quantitative where you're saying, okay, students with parents who helped them in engineering, perhaps that's really important. So we're still trying to um, you know, conclude our an analysis, but these are some of the tools that we're using to understand this huge amount of, of data that we've been uh, gaining through our surveys and interviews. 
That's interesting. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting to, to see sort of what theories you guys are using to um, to drive your research. I think now would be a good time for a short break. And then when we come back, we're going to, you know, take what we just heard about those theories and try to connect them up with um, the research methods that they're using for the project. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Anthro Alert. You're listening to us on WSF 89.7 HC3 Tampa. 16:20 a.m. on campus and streaming worldwide at tunein.com and the TuneIn app. Uh, that's where you that's where you get Bulls Radio WSF. Um, here we are. Uh, today we're talking about uh, we're, we're looking at a project to evaluate how engineering students um, different patterns and how they're able to be successful in their institutions and their their uh, beliefs and values around studying engineering uh, engineering. Engineering as a discipline, rather. So our guest is Dr. Rebecca Campbell. Um, now let's see. Our next question for is actually regarding some of the research methods involved in the study. So what are some, Dr. Campbell, what are some of the research methods that you're utilizing? Well, in our National Science Foundation-funded study, um, and I just want to point out that of course, any um, views shared here may not be those of the NSF, but in our uh, study that they have funded, um, what we're basically using with our methods, as I mentioned, were um, surveys and interviews, um, and to analyze those, as I mentioned the theories we're talking about, but um, just to quickly add, one of the um, ways in which we're understanding our survey data is through what's called linear logistic test model. And I know that that's got a lot of words that we may not be familiar with, but the reason why it's really useful is because it helps us group the survey items, and we indeed designed survey items kind of by groups because we had these central concepts important in our research that we wanted to understand. And those are things that I'll list in a moment, but you may when you hear them kind of say, oh, I can see how that would be important to an engineer to do to be, do well. And we actually determined that these were the concepts and ideas and things that students needed to do well at so um, that they could do well in engineering by when we conducted um, free listing, when we talked to engineering students and many, many um, professors and so on and ask them, you know, when they had been in school and now that they're professors and as a practicing engineer and so forth, what are things that make a good engineer? So the domains that we ended up um, wanting and needing to measure in the survey to find this out were academic preparation, which is quite, you know, self-explanatory. Also, persistence and success. Resources, so those are things like um, having access to the library and, and things like that. Departmental support, also relationships and support, and those could be outside of schooling or could be inside of schooling. Limitations or barriers to their success, like if they had to uh, also have a job outside of their schooling, um, maybe they lived off campus and that comprised a barrier, maybe they... Um, had some type of other barrier to success. And then lastly, FIT, which focused on um, how well students believed that um, they fit in school, did they feel comfortable asking questions in class, and things like that. So um, that's how we were understanding our survey results. And then with the um, interviews, 
that we actually created that set of interview questions based on some of our preliminary analysis of the surveys. We also did pilot interviews and pilot surveys, which you always want to do to um, practice to get out any kinks. Um, and so for the interviews, um, we also looked at other studies and looked at some of the things that may have been important there um, in order to uh, complement the survey data that we had. So we also asked questions about those domains I mentioned earlier. But the great thing about interviews is they really let a participant go into detail, whereas you can't really do that on a survey. So for example, when we were asking students about FIT, they would be able to tell us things like, uh, you know, um, last week at one of the camp at you know the students campus um, someone had slipped a note under her dorm uh, door that uh, was this flyer about why um, white women should stay dating white men and that they should stay away from black men um, and that was those flyers were also posted all around campus we also had women tell us about um, you know, fitting in in class. Um, sometimes their male colleagues would prevent them from using power tools in the lab. Um, so those are not only fit issues, but can become barriers. So um, those are some of the methods that we use to understand these questions. Well, I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's that's crazy. That can definitely uh, in, impact your decision to stay in engineering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, I left engineering just because I didn't understand it. it <laughs> Like I, I was, not, I did not have those kind of barriers. Um, that was that was my barrier was myself. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Wow. My eyes are open to, to wow. That's something. Well, speaking of why you left engineering, that is something we actually asked students. Um, in each survey, we asked them, are they still enrolled in engineering, or perhaps they switched out to a different major. Um, are they still enrolled in engineering? And so we found out some reasons. And some of the common ones were that even though the students may have been academically prepared, they were just no longer interested. They'd learned what it was and said, that, hey, this isn't for me. Another big thing was students actually didn't know what to expect when they had enrolled in their engineering program. Mm -hmm. They didn't really know what um, they were getting into. And once they realized that this is what an engineer does or this is what I would have to do, it didn't match with what they wanted. Um, and the third uh, top-ranked choice was another choice. So it was kind of this reason that wasn't one of the 14 we had listed. So there was all sorts of various things there. Students also said they weren't prepared for the math component, and they were worried about their GPA declining. So those were mm -hmm. some of the mm -hmm. really important reasons why um, students ended up switching to a non-engineering major. And indeed, by the time the second survey rolled around, Already 15% of students had switched out to a non-engineering major. Wow. And um, actually business, 25% of those students had switched to business, um, which is kind of surprising, I think. I mean, I, I feel like that's still a lot of math. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> depending you know, on what kind of business you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I, I hear about you know some of those 14 reasons. And, and uh, yeah, like a lot of those certainly, you know, for my own case, uh, would apply. Like, you know, not having an idea of what engineering was ahead of time, mm -hmm. um, and then just kind of figuring out what it was and then realizing, yeah, it's, it's not my thing. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, I, I actually had a different, like a follow-up question in regards to 
I was going to ask. So these these is so like a pre-filled list. It was part of the survey, and they just kind of rank indicated, or they indicated mm-hmm. which ones apply to them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it wasn't through out of interview or anything. No, the, yeah, these are um, survey results. Um, and so, you know, the good thing about surveys is that um, you're able to con- – you, you have all these variables, and you're able to see how they match up. So we're still working on, okay, now we have this group of students who've switched to business, which was the biggest one, then followed by social science, computer science, and physical science. So now we can go back and we can say, okay, those students that switched – were they somehow fundamentally different from those who stayed in engineering? So was it that they had more supportive parents? Maybe they had a teacher from high school that really went out of their way to um, facilitate their progress. And indeed, some students did share that in the interviews. So again, we have the interviews kind of providing this data that you can't really find in the surveys, whereas the surveys were able to make these um explanations that are supported by our data for the trends that we're seeing. So ultimately, once we have, you know, the fourth survey collected, we analyze that data, then we'll go back and say, okay, how many in in some of our 2200 that we originally started out with, how many switched? How many left college? Why did they switch? What are their characteristics? And what can we learn about, what can we take away from that? Maybe we realize hey, we need to do a better job in high school, right, of um, supporting students in a particular way. Uh, maybe we need to really address c- the gender climate. You know, and it wasn't only sometimes uh, that students, that women students, male colleagues would sometimes do things like this. Women also reported in interviews that professors sometimes made negative comments, um, like this problem is so easy, um, your mom could do it, or um, I've never had a woman pass this class. Um, and these are just some examples of, um, you know, the qualitative data that we got from interviews. So I don't want to paint this picture out here that every underrepresented minority or woman, you know, they didn't just, like, complain in the interviews. But we specifically asked them, you know, um, what were some tough times? How did you feel you fit in? And these are the responses that we would get. Yeah. What now? What year was was this occurring? So it started in 2014, okay. and we're in our last year now. Um, and so uh, we're planning to. We've s- submitted a proposal, a follow-up proposal to the National Science Foundation to actually follow these students into the workplace. Um, and so if we don't get that funding, then we'll do a no-cost extension, which basically means we'll continue the research because we still have money left over. So we're going to continue it regardless to follow them in at least to their first year in the workplace. Oh, and so so a sponsor – so the sponsor here is the National Science Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, oh, that's government funded. Yes, okay. yes. Uh, and so, so this type of study I think is important because it helps build capacity to continue engineering as a viable – path of study and career in the United States. Mm. Uh, we're, I mean, it's like a global community, of course, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, for, for, the, for the U.S. to be competitive mm-hmm. on an economic global scale, they definitely need to, to have uh, engineering programs, well, I mean, all sorts of programs, but we're right. talking about engineering, engineering programs that are supportive of a diverse array of students. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if I could just go back real quick to one of the things you mentioned was that some students decided to leave engineering because... The the math be- because they were taking a hit 
in their GPA due to the math courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, that speaks of possibly like the competitive nature mm. um, you know, it, it, that, that draws some engineering students in. Um, I, I don't know if you have any of this available to talk. Guys, I don't think we mentioned it when we were kind of prepping for our, our show interview, but um, d- were you able to find out about some of the programs that different universities offered to specifically help minority or women engineers? Yes. Engineering students, rather? Um, definitely. So there's um, some programs that the university themselves run. Then there's federal programs um, that the universities can choose to run at their uh, school. There's also um, engineering fraternities or sororities or organizations that were uh, very popular among our participants. For example... Over half of African Americans in our sample participated in NSBE, which is the National Society for Black Engineers. Um, we also had about 38% participating in um, the organization SWE that um, women engineers are a part of, um, as well as the Society for Hispanic Practicing Engineers was about 22% of our participants. So, um, what we also did besides asking them, okay, did you participate? We also asked them, well, how did your participation help you in, you know, being successful in continuing in your program? So we're still working on analyzing that data, but we also, um, you know, asked those questions during the interviews. So people would say, you know, uh, they helped them with networking, helped them try to find an internship, or just have people who were like themselves where they could feel, you know, felt like a safe place to go they could talk about similar things had similar experiences so um those are some of the various programs that actually help um diverse engineering students yeah it sounds um like the the approaches to retention and student engagement student success are very Mm multi-dimensional there's there's a lot of different mm, approaches to helping different students you know in different ways yeah and i i think i would agree with that you know, but I think there's definitely more that can be done, and we don't know a lot about equity and access to these resources. Um, that's something that we are trying to find out in our own research is um, to what extent are these programs available to all students. And we did see in high school in our first survey that there was no gender differences in um, students' ability to access, like, the library and things like that in the average high school um, some other things that we found important in high school was um, that both um, men and women believed that they had were really well prepared academically and that they fit in well in high school. So we found that most people believe that. However, um, women actually thought that they were better academically prepared, but men said that they fit in better in high school. So if we're thinking back to engineering high school students, so these are Um, students who um, are thinking, okay, I'm going to be, I want to be an engineer when I grow up. And so they're maybe taking these certain math and science classes. And women thought, okay, I'm really academically prepared, but men thought that they really fit in better. Um, And lastly, it was Latino men and women, uh, especially in these Puerto Rican Hispanic serving institutions who felt the most support from their high school teachers in comparison with Latino students in the continental U.S. So we can ask these questions, what is different about high schools in Puerto Rico versus the United States in terms of serving students, in terms of st- serving Latino students, and what could we learn from that here? 
I mean, I could speculate an answer. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's a better representation yeah, of, of yeah. teachers like students. Maybe it's cultural similarity. Well, yeah, I mean, in Puerto Rico, I mean, you, you, a larger proportion of Latino students. Right, but right. the importance, I think, of saying this in the research yeah. is that so people can't say, oh, well, certain groups just aren't better at math or certain groups just culturally have deficits because we know that you know, we have this evidence here and in a multitude of other studies that if people have the same access, um, that they can perform sim similarly well. But then we get, we're getting into the nuance with our research, which is what is different about these students' backgrounds in terms of the people that they know, right? So it's uh, the people that they know maybe that are engineers um, and their access to these different resources and these beliefs. So again, those cultural models of engineering success and then, then that social capital. Um, we actually didn't find that students had a big difference in their social capital in some ways in high school. It seems like everybody had about one to two people who were influencing them, usually a parent and then maybe a teacher or sibling. Um, and in fact, I told you earlier that there was no gender difference found in the availability of resources, but women participated in more activities and services in high school. So they were going to the library more. They were going to tutoring more, career counseling more um, to prepare. Um, one of the big takeaways that I get from that is that uh, the, the key message, the key takeaway is in maybe offering some critique of, like, the differences in equity and access and, and uh, for sure coming up with, like, just, hey, it's not valid to say that different groups of people are just not going to be successful in different career fields. That's pr preposterous. And so, so that's, like, the important stuff that I hear out of this research is, mm -hmm. yes, I mean, or um, <laughs> let me rephrase that. The important stuff that I hear out of the research is that, is that when when we can improve equity and access, there, there's not, there's there's not a difference. We have better right. outcomes. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Clean yeah. that up for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know. So I've kind of shared with you about high school and what we're finding so far on students' first year in college, is that they actually realized when they got to college wow, I do have a good um, basis for being an engineer because they felt more academically prepared than they were in high school. The whole sample did. But interestingly, men were less likely to believe they felt impediments to graduation. So that means that women were the ones who were indicating um, that they had barriers. Um, further, Asian and white men felt the most prepared. Um, however, black men were less likely to believe in their ability to persist. And then finally, Asian men felt that they fit in most in their engineering program. So, you know, we still have these questions. What we have so far, and we're still working on analysis, is we have these trends. But we're left with this question of what do these trends mean and how do they ultimately relate to our outcomes of, you know, retention of if these students stayed in engineering. So we won't know that until we get our last survey and we crunch all these numbers and we conduct our second round of interviews. Have you seen whether uh, the students that are um, have expressed these barriers or limitations, are these generally the students that have already kind of dropped out of engineering, or are they still in engineering, but they're just aware of these limitations? Do you have... I couldn't uh, remark on that now because um, while we have largely analyzed the data from the first two surveys, we're still working on analyzing the data for the third, third survey, and there's 
actually a lot of analysis that goes uh, on. Um, you know, for example, we have the survey available both in English and Spanish. So you have mm. to do what's called clean the data. Mm. So sometimes you have to um, make sure that all of the responses match up so that when you go to crunch the numbers, um, that it, it, it is all done easily. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, unfortunately, I can't remark on that now. Mm. But okay. I mean, that's a super important question. In fact, that is what we're trying to right, find right, out. Yeah. And so we will have an answer for that. I don't know what that answer will be. Mm. Um, but we will have an answer once we finish our analysis. Hey, D- Dr. Campbell, I mean, have you noticed or have you seen any ideas regarding how um, ha- how uh, engineering student enrollment is tied to exposure to STEM initiatives in like K-12 or? Well, our research would suggest that um, it is highly correlated, especially um, we had a lot of students in our interviews say, oh, I had this teacher and um, he actually would already call me an engineer or he would say, oh, you're going to go to this college and, and go for engineering, right? Um, or the robotics club in high school was a really big influencer um, in terms of getting students excited about engineering and thinking that they could do it. Also, students would have, you know, this particular science teacher, like I mentioned, who would really believe in them, or they'd have a parent who would really believe in them. And those are the things that really helped um, contribute to students' decisions to pursue engineering um, some of the other things that parents and teachers shared were the be- benefits of becoming an engineer. So not only financial security, but w- you know, making a difference in your community or elsewhere. Um, some students who were the first generation in college students or may have come from a lower income family would say, you know, I'm doing this for my family or I'm doing this for my community or my people or my country. Um, so that was really important to some students. Um, in our interviews, it also showed that Um, When parents provided resources to build interest in engineering, um, that helped students. So not only things like buying Legos when you were young, but taking you to science fairs, taking you to college tours, those were really important. And even providing information on the pathway, like, okay, if you want to do this for your work, you know, you need to go to school and here's how I'll help you. So parents and teachers really um, educated high school students on how they could do that. But it wasn't only this direct advice. It was also um, emotional support. So when students would, sometimes they'd say, oh, I'd call my my mom, and I'd just say, I don't know if I can be an engineer. I just failed this class. Um, They would maybe talk to their friends. And students so many times during interviews would say, you know, my parents would just say, oh, just keep going. We know you can do it. Um, And that actually seems to be, you know, preliminarily speaking, um, one of those things that's helping students stay in engineering. And I can't say for sure until all the analysis is done, but um, when, when is, if students had somebody, a teacher, a parent, another student, to listen when the student was expressing self-doubt, and if they had someone they really trusted say, hey, you know, just do the homework, just take the class over again, um, you know, here's maybe some resources you can access. That those seem to be um, those things that help students stay on track. And and as I said, further analysis will will inform more on that. Yeah, moral support can go a long way. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. having that one person. Yeah, and that's like refreshing to hear because yeah. you know it it seems like like kids like don't listen to adults. So <laughs> <laughs> so okay, they, they yeah. hear they hear some things. That's good. Right. That's good. 
Yeah, and it was um, not only adults, like I said, but, you know, their, their classmates. Um, and so one of the things that students change from high school to their freshman year is that they really realized, okay, being good at math and science is not enough to be an engineer. I have really got to have time management. I've got to go to study groups. I've got to participate in these organizations. And they learned that through these influencers that they had. So other professors, students, maybe they had a graduate student that they had become friends with. Um, and so those are some of the things that we've, we're, we're seeing may be really impacting whether or not students stay in engineering. All right. Well, I think on that note, we're going to take a very short break. Okay. So stay tuned. Enjoy the music. We'll be back in a very, very short moment, and we'll finish our conversation. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to, to Anthro Alert here on Bulls Radio, WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and streaming worldwide 24-7 all the time. At TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. It's a nice app. I have it on my phone. It is a nice app. I listen to it regularly. Yeah, there, there are a couple of advertisements that can be obtrusive. <laughs> but there is a lot of a lot of options for radio stations you and can or listen, podcasts. You can listen to everything. Yes. Um, and whatever language you want to listen to it in. Yeah, I like to listen to languages that I don't understand. Yeah. I listen like, to the radio in French a lot. Oh, good. Lately. But, you, but you're trying to learn French. Yeah. That's so I okay. listen to the Chinese station sometimes, too. All right. You're just showing cool. off now. <laughs> All right, so um, we've been t- our guest this week has been Dr. Rebecca Campbell. She's been talking to us about a project where they're looking at the personal experience, the lived experience of engineering students in high school and college and just trying to add some, some ethnographic, some qualitative context, some n- personal narrative as to um, why they continue to uh, pursue engineering as a career or why they've decided to opt out and maybe uh, pursue other things. Mm. So uh, as we close our conversation... Uh, I th- we're, uh, we're going to follow up with a few more questions. Spencer's going to get our next one for us. Right. So we we wanted to touch on a little bit of the future of the project that you had um, kind of, I guess, alluded to earlier in our conversation that you were going to extend it and follow this cohort, cohort into, um, I guess, the, the workforce. Uh, so what are the what are kind of the questions that you have here? Are you looking at engineering students, whether they get – placed into an actual engineering position opposed to maybe another position or like some barriers to getting the first job um what kind of like what kind of questions are you guys looking at well before i talk about that just to back up really quickly there was just something i wanted to add from our interviews that i didn't get a chance to say and it was um that during our interviews in terms of how students fit in it actually turned out that um, white and Latino students didn't really see race as impacting their fit, whereas African-Americans or other groups um, really had these reports, especially African-Americans, of having to overcome biases and stereotyping. Mm. So, Mm. uh, for example, I remember one student telling me that um, when he would first meet somebody, when he would first meet a student who was often another white uh, white male student, Mm. This was an African American um, male student telling me this, that the student wouldn't um, be overly friendly. That you could kind of tell that the student wasn't expecting you to know a lot, and was expecting you to um, act a certain way. And so, um, the student who was sharing these experiences with me, he said he kind of, you know, he said it wasn't that bad, but that you'd always have to kind of prove yourself. Um, and prove that you are safe and smart and things like that. And then people would kind of open up. So we are seeing, like, certain students having to do this double work. 
And what's also interesting, Doctor Campbell, I'm sorry, you, you said he, he had a this this part. He had to prove himself. He had to prove that he was safe. Yeah, that you know um, that per- perhaps some of his peers maybe thought he would have been a thug or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, these are biases that some people in the United States have. Mm-hmm. So we just have to think about, you know college is like a a smaller section of the United States, right? Where you do see some of these same biases. And so um, when the narrative in the United States is that certain groups of people are more likely to be a certain way, well, of course, our students are going to encounter those things. So it's not only for racial groups, but also women, you know, these expectations that women engineering students who work in groups will be expected to take notes um, again, that they won't be allowed to use power tools because they're not, you know, that women can't handle them. Um, so those are, you know, overcoming those biases and stereotyping is a real struggle. But what was so great to learn that some of these students had actually been prepared for this by their parents or, or an aunt who was an engineer or a teacher who looked like them or in some way was similar. And, and they would say, um, you know, people may prejudge you, but this is – you know, here's a way in which I coped or or here's what you can do as a woman engineer. So, um, you know, women were treated differently, as I said before. Um, so these were some of the things that, um, you know, women and some underrepresented minorities encountered. Um, so just to touch back to what your question was regarding the future of our study. So, yes, indeed, we want to ask a lot of these same questions. Um, and what do they mean for the workplace? So. We are going to be asking students in our next survey, we're hoping to, um, ask them, uh, and in fact, we actually already are in this last uh, survey four because we realize some people just graduate a little earlier. So we're asking them questions like, you know, have you graduated? Where do you work? Is it an engineering field? And so we're going to be mapping that back onto their earlier experiences. So the future of this research, um, you know, we still have some some years left, of course, you know, analyzing and disseminating it. And then we'll be in a good position to say, you know, these are the factors that influence um, engineering students' retention in de- their degree programs and in the workforce. So, um, and again, we'll just be using those two main ways to think about it, which was their cultural models, so the values that students thought were important. And then um, their social capital, which we said, and largely we're measuring by the people that they know and how those people helped them do well in engineering. All right, so Doctor. So, uh, Doctor Kim, we got about like a minute left. Um, let's let's maybe start to close up and kind of give us some of the key messages that you want us to get today. Okay, well, I would say that the key message that we want to share today is that while we're still working on our project, um, that we're going to be sharing soon um, answers to our research questions, which were, you know, how does the people that somebody knows, their social capital, and how does the things that they believe, their cultural models, how does that impact whether they'll be successful engineering students and they'll stay in engineering? And so that's um, what we want to find out. And just to tell our listeners, um, you know, to, that uh, both I and our large interdisciplinary team will be sharing this research. So if they follow me on Twitter at R. Campbell Anthro or Facebook at Dr. Rebecca A. Campbell, um, that's just one of the many avenues that um, we're going to, you know, I as a member of the research team will share when we have a publication, when we go to a presentation. 
Um, so those are some of the ways that they can uh, stay in contact. Of course, can email me, rebecca.campbell at uconn.edu as well. Great. Um, so I think we can probably uh, post that information on anthroalert.com along with the summary of today's conversation. So um, if you'd like to learn more about the the project you can you know go on there and read the summary and and perhaps follow dr campbell and um you know kind of follow the future of the project as as the research starts to be disseminated that's all that time that we have this week so we'd like to thank dr campbell for coming back on uh, graciously donating her time to sit with us here on anthro alert and listen to our jabber um so renee just Yes, yeah, so out. so so again, you can find you can find more information on, on anthroalert.com. Um, Dr. Dr. Rebecca Campbell's Twitter information is on our Twitter anthroalert. Uh, yeah, you know, just go anthroalert.com. That's all you got to go. We're on on YouTube as well. Um, we're going to be taking a couple weeks off because USF yep. closes apparently. Yes. <laughs> so so we will be back in January. I think is going to be like the eighth or. It's in January. Just yeah. stay, stay tuned. You know, yeah. um, keep yourself entertained. Keep yourself educated by listening to Anthro Alert on YouTube and on the you know, on our website. Yes, I know you guys are going to miss us. So every Friday at three, you can go on AnthroAlert.com and listen to an old episode. Yeah, just pretend it's live. <laughs> I mean, you won't know because they come out so delayed anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Um, I hope everyone has a, a fantastic weekend. Happy holidays to everyone. Have a relaxing break and come back and join us next semester. All right. All right. Bye. Thanks. Take it easy.